Shoreline City. Everybody ready for a great day? I hope you are. It's wonderful to see all of you. Hey, we're not just a location at White Rock. We also have locations uh, in Antigua, Guatemala as well. And Guatemala is joining with us today. Let's give Guatemala a huge round of applause. They're joining with us. We're joining with them. One house, many rooms. We got Bishop Arts. Uh, We've got the North Campus that's on the horizon as well. So many exciting things uh, are ahead for Shoreline City. I'm thrilled everyone is here today, and I have high expectations on what God wants to do in all of our hearts and our lives. Uh, so if you are with us for the first time, whether here or in Antigua, just know you're loved, you're valued, you're believed in, we're in your corner, we're cheering you on, we prayed for you to be here with us today, and we're trusting that God is really going to grab a hold of your heart. Uh, my name is Earl. I have the honor to be the pastor here at Shoreline City. My wife and I uh, started this church just about seven years ago uh, with our, we had two kids at the time. Now we have three and a handful of people that were crazy enough and bold enough to say, hey, we want to make it on earth as it is in heaven. And this beautiful dream, this beautiful church family has continued to blossom and grow in amazing ways. And we keep seeing people's lives changed and transformed, and it's definitely not for our glory. It is all for his. So whether a friend brought you or you saw something on Instagram or whatever, I'm not sure how you ended up with us today. Just know uh, we prayed for you, and we, uh, we do believe that the best days for your life are still ahead. We do believe that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Again, give a huge round of applause to all of our first-time guests at all of our locations. Hey, we're going to open up the Bible here. If you have your Bible, go with me to Luke, Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. It is the Christmas season, so uh, this is, it's got to be, you've got to share a message around Christ's birth. You, you, You have to. If you don't, you can't be a pastor. It's not true, but that's the pressure I feel anyway. It's a good pressure. What a great, great time of the year. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse number 36. We'll put the scripture on the screen for you if you don't have your Bibles. It says, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, which is rude. Can we just say that right now? That's in the Bible forever. She was very old, haggard bags under her eyes. No, she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them at that very moment. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Those of you who are taking notes today, the title of today's message is, Anna, are you okay? Are you okay, Anna? <laughs> I didn't even ask for that song. <laughs> That's the creative team being creative. If you don't know who Michael Jackson is, sorry. Anna, are you okay? Are you okay, Anna? In these few verses, just these three verses here are uh, apples of gold and settings of silver. You have the very word of God being spoken to your heart and mind. And I believe today, whether you're in Antigua, 
here uh, in, in Dallas are watching online as so many people do in the balcony, on the floor, wherever you are, you're standing, you're sitting. I, I believe that God has something for you today. I believe he actually wants to speak to your heart and your life and push you forward and help you become who he destined for you to be. Uh, so in these few verses here, uh, you have this woman, her name is Anna. I don't have time to get into all the beautiful nuances of how Jesus even ended up at the temple at this particular time. Uh, he, Jesus was a Jewish young boy. His parents were Jews, so they were going and doing their Jewish, uh, fulfilling their Jewish rituals. They were taking the steps that you needed to take when you had a firstborn son. They are taking those steps. They are crossing those T's, dotting those I's. And in this moment, this woman, Anna, is there in the temple. She's at church. Interestingly enough, Anna means grace. Anna means grace. So now you have grace in our Savior, the embodiment of grace. Now meeting a woman whose name is grace. And this is another announcement to all of us that grace is on the scene like you and I have never known before. Grace has been born and grace is about to break down every wall, every barrier, every lie, every bit of sin, every bit of destruction. And grace is about to make the world right. Let me just tell this to you. If you have a problem with grace, then you have a problem with the New Testament. You have a problem with Christianity and you have a problem with Jesus. If grace is uncomfortable for you then you're uncomfortable with all these other things. I heard one author, his name is Max Lucado, say uh, grace is like springtime. You can't describe it in just one sentence. It has all these beautiful nuances, and the Apostle Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament, kept coming at grace from all these different angles. He just kept looking and seeing and feeling and, and experiencing and pointing us to grace over and over and over and over and over again. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, for it is by, what's the word? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, not by works, not by works, not by works. Why? So that no one can boast. You can't boast. I can't boast. We can't boast in our own pedigree. We cannot boast in our education. We cannot boast in our bank account. We cannot boast in the family we came from. We cannot boast in the first language that we speak. We cannot boast in the country that we belong to. We cannot boast. It is by grace. You, we, you and I have been saved through faith. It is not by works. It's not by your tithing that you're saved. It is not by your serving that you're saved. It is not by you and I being a good person that we're saved. We like to be just, oh, I'm, I'm, a, good, I'm a good person. That won't save you. If you're a good person and you haven't given your life to Jesus, you're still separated from God. Being good is not what saves you. You and I knowing the Bible is not what saves us. 
It is by grace you have been saved through faith. All of this is pointing us to our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. This grace message cannot be preached too much. It cannot be exhausted. It cannot be talked about to to nausea for you and I to understand who God is. It is grace that separates Christianity from every single other religion. Other religions have prayer. Other religions have meditation. Other religions have kindness. Other religions have doing good deeds. But no one else has grace. No one else says God is going to initiate making you and I right and then stay with us and sustain us the entire time. No one has that. C.S. Lewis actually said grace is the, the thing that differentiates Christianity from every other religion. It is by Grace, you and I have been saved through faith. Grace, I got, I got another verse for you. Uh, go with me to Romans. Go with me to Romans. Romans uh, chapter, Romans chapter five, verse number twenty. I got another. I got another grace verse. The, the law was brought in. Romans chapter five, verse number twenty. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, what happened? Come on, where sin increased, what happened? Grace increased all the more. Where sin increased, grace increased. There are so many Christians who are so sin conscious. We are so conscious of our sins getting bigger, our sins getting bigger, our sins getting bigger. And I understand that, but I need you and I to understand that when your sin gets bigger, when you and I begin to grow there, understand that God does not run and hide and God's truths do not run and hide. As a matter of fact, you can't sin too much to outgrace the grace of God. Every time you sin, grace says, no, I can go deeper. I can go wider. I can go higher. I, I, I can love longer than you can sin. I can, I can extend more grace. You're going to get tired sinning before I run out of grace. See, whenever you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I think we need God's grace to get us saved. But then we somehow think we graduate from grace. And we graduate, and now when God was really, really generous with grace to get us saved, now he's stingy with it because he doesn't want us to get spoiled. Doesn't doesn't want you to have too much because if you have too much, then you might just start misusing and abusing his grace. Let me just tell you this. It's not Bible. That's not scripture. That's humanistic. That's you and I putting ourselves at the center. I'm telling you, who God is cannot change. What God does cannot change. He is God forever and ever and ever. And the same grace you and I needed to save us is the same grace that God extends to us to sustain us every single day of our lives. Where sin increases, grace increases all the more. I've got friends in my life that will tell me, oh, no, no, I I, I can't do that God thing because I've messed up too much. I'm too far. I've made too many mistakes. 
And I don't know who told them that, but I try to announce them as, as, as clearly as I possibly can. My friend, that is erroneous theology. That is incorrect. That is you not understanding who God is and what God does. You have not sinned too much. I'm telling you, you can't sin too much to outgrace who God is. I want this to be tattooed on every single one of our hearts who God is is not changed because of your behavior what God is able to do does not change because of your behavior he is who he was and he is who he will always be he is the same yesterday today and forever that's who our savior is now some of you are going whoa 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 wait 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 that means People are just going to start sinning all over the place. They're just going to start sinning anytime they want to sin because you're all this grace talk. I got another verse for you. Romans chapter 6. Just go down a couple of verses, a couple of verses. Romans chapter 6, verse number 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. One of my friends who uh, went to Bible college says the, the, the original language here actually um, uses kind of a cuss word. He's like, heck no, but it's not heck. H-E double hockey sticks, no. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? He is here saying to us, I, I, have, I have not met a, a genuine follower of Jesus who says, hey, hey, I want to experience more of God's grace. So what I'm going to go do is I'm going to go sin a whole lot right now. This weekend, this week, it's going to be a crazy weekend because I, I just, I'm just desperate for the grace of God. I want to experience his grace in all types of new dimensions. So I'm not going to remember this weekend. I have not met a person that's done that because anytime you love someone, Anytime you genuinely are in a relationship with someone, you do not go and hurt that person on purpose. That is not what you do, and that is not what I do. When you care about someone, you do not say, how can I get back at you? How can I tear you down? When you genuinely love someone, you may fall. You may hurt them. You may hurt them deeply, but you don't do it on purpose. You do it because you're dumb. (laughs) Can I get an amen? (laughs) I know that's true for me. We do it because we're human. We trip, we fall, but we don't do it because we hate you. We, when you love someone, when you gen, when your heart is wrapped up in someone else, and I'm telling you, when you and I have given our hearts to Jesus, and he has forgiven us of our sin, and given us a brand new start, and put our feet on a firm foundation, and, and taken our past, and put it under his blood, and given us a, for a brand new future, when Jesus has done that for me, I'm saying, Jesus, you can have all of my life. I'm not trying to go sin on purpose. I'm trying to find more of who you are, get deeper into your presence 
presence become more intimate with you so I can reflect more of your glory, your hope, and your life. What shall we say then? Should we just go and sin? No. When you do. Come on, church. When, when you do. Not if. <laughs> Not if. Because you and I, we're humans. Okay? We're humans. So stop trying to think you're going to be perfect. You're not going to be perfect. I'm not going to be perfect. You're not going to be perfect. As beautiful as you are in Dallas and Antigua, as wonderful as you are, you're not perfect. But when you and I fall, the grace of God is there to say, son, daughter, on your feet. Now, with this being the case, with this being the case, I, I, I'm reading the, this, this is just, we're just in the beginning. It's just the, her name, three verses. I got a lot more I got to talk about, so we got to keep on going here. Why did Luke bring this woman up? Why did he even bring her up? Why, why, not everybody gets named in the Bible. I, 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 I'm not totally sure on this, but, but for those of you who are Bible geeks, let, let me just talk to you for a quick second, okay, all 17 of you. Um, the Gospel of Luke, the writer of the Gospel of Luke, his name is Luke. He also wrote the book of Acts, okay? So the New Testament begins, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then it goes to Acts. This is not the sequential order. They were actually kind of written at different times, but, but regardless, you got these four Gospels, then it goes to Acts. In most Bible colleges, they put Luke and Acts together. Luke acts because Luke wrote both of these books. You can see uh, how God is using Luke to write these books. He talks a lot about the Holy Spirit, talks a lot about the infilling and the empowerment of the Spirit. He obviously talks about the birth of the church. It's beautiful. But one of the other things Luke does is he really celebrates both male and female doing the work of the Lord. So in, in Luke chapter 2, we have here, and we'll look at this guy another time. His name is Simeon. Uh, we have Anna actually walking up into a moment where Simeon, who works at the temple, is interacting with Jesus and Jesus' parents. Anna walks in on that. That's where verse 36, we stepped into a story that was already going. So Luke highlights Simeon. But then right after that, he highlights Anna. This is all in, in, in Luke chapter 2. Here's this Anna. She actually begins to proclaim the word of God to everyone who's looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Well, that happened in Luke chapter 2. Well, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh, Luke then begins to pen from the prophet Joel. And he says, this is what was spoken, that in the last day, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. It's as if Luke is saying, hey friends, Jesus has showed up. Grace is here but this is not just a male thing and this is just not a female thing. This is God breaking down every wall, every barrier and he's putting us all on the same foundation and he is saying, go out and be my hands and feet and share my message with the whole world. But then we find out this woman is old. 84. I don't think 84 is that old. Do we have anyone in this room, anyone in Antigua that might be over 70? Anybody over 70? Anybody? Raise your hand. I dare you. Anybody? 
I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that some, the lights are blinding me right now. Anybody over 12? Just kidding. <laughs> when, you have, when you have people who have been around for a minute, this woman, the Bible tells us, was a widow. And there's some discrepancy here in this, in this particular passage, okay? Some people say she was not 84 years old. They say she was a widow for 84 years. So that means say she got married around the age of 14. Right now, she's 105 years old when this is happening. So whether, whether she's 105 or she's 84 years old, we can say this woman has lived a little bit of life. She has lived this life, but where do we find her? We find her in the temple. We find her still going hard after God. We find her in her 80s or in her hundreds still passionate about God and the things of God. We find her still with her gaze fixed on her Savior. It reminded me of Joshua. If you have your Bibles, you can go with me to Joshua chapter 14. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this verse. I, I love this. Joshua and Caleb uh, were the two guys that went in to spy out the land, and they came back with a good report. And Caleb now is ready to enter into the promised land. And verse number 10, he says this to Joshua. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 40 Five years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today. How old? How old? Here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses set me, sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now. As I was then, 85 years old, saying, you can't stop me. 85 years old, saying, I still got gas in the tank. 85 years old, saying, there's still more that God wants to do on the inside of me. I just wanted to give you a picture from this woman, Anna, and from this book of Joshua that we see in the life of Caleb. I wanted to give you a picture of what your life can be. You do not have to go down as you get older. You can actually keep getting stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. Let me talk to those of you who've been married for two years for a second, and you think, when I'm married 25 years, it'll probably be boring. Don't believe that. Don't believe the lie of society. You're marriage can be better at 25 years than it is when you're at two years. If you're 24 years old right now, don't think your life is over when you're 46. You're just getting started at that point in time. I'm trying to give you a picture of what God can do in your life, not just in one year, but in generations to come. I want us to be a people that are saying, God, use my life in every single decade of my life. If I'm a teenager, use me. If I'm in my 20s, use me. If I'm in my 30s, use if I'm in my 40s, use me. And if I'm 90 years old and I don't have any teeth in my mouth, man, let some woman grab me by my britches and pull me along and get me to church as I keep on following my glorious Savior. I will not stop because I'm getting older. I'm just getting started. 
I'm trying to give you a picture because the world will tell you, oh, if you're a teenager now, when you go to college, you got to lose your mind. No, you don't. Let me give you a picture. You can fall more in love with Jesus during your college years. You don't have to lose your mind when you get after the divorce. You can actually fall more in love with Jesus at that point in time. I'm telling you, Anna gives us a picture here of what it's like to be 80-something or 100-something still going after God. You see how this woman allowed God to rule her behavior, not her season of life? What rules your behavior? Maybe more importantly, who rules your behavior? Who is it that gets the final say in your life? Is it you? Is it your spouse? Is it your past? Who is it that rules your life? Because we all have a ruler. Every one of us who are listening to me today, we all have a ruler. And you can even go to church and have a different ruler than God. Now, it doesn't mean God is any less God. It just means he's not God in your life. He's just on the throne of your heart. Y'all are getting quiet on me right now. I'm saying for you and I, who rules your life. This woman right here, Anna, said, God, you're my ruler. Because even, she was a widow. She lost her husband. And the emotions of that can can be lost in just reading these verses rather quickly. Uh, But for a moment, I'd like for all of us just to feel it for a second. I want you to feel that she lost her husband. This is very real emotions, the tears, the pain, the difficulty, whether she was 14 and lost her husband in her 20s, wherever, whatever age she may have been, she lost the love of her life. When she loses the love of her life, I want you to see that she allowed her pain to push her into the presence of God. Do you see this? She allowed her pain to push her into the presence of God because your pain will push you somewhere. Your pain will push you to pornography. Your pain will push you to selfishness. Your pain will push you to depression. Your pain will push you to isolation. Your pain will push you to stress. Your pain will push you somewhere. But if you and I can allow the pain to push us to the presence of God, then we can have the type of legacy that Anna has. Uh, 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 real quick, uh, my friend uh, uh, Daniel Poku and Christian Hosey. Okay, before we had this building here in Dallas, we had another building, and that was our town north building. That building sat just about 250 people. It was a gift. We absolutely loved it so much. But Daniel uh, Poku and Christian Hosey showed up on a Saturday to clean the church because we had teams of people that would come on Saturday, and they would be the ones that would clean. So, so Daniel and, and Christian show up. They're college students at the time. As a quick aside, that's, that cleaning team is actually where our t- first two campus pastors ever came from. Nate and Whitney Louder were on that cleaning team with Andrew and Hannah Scott. That's where they first met each other, scrubbing toilets. I want to preach. I want to preach. You better scrub a toilet. That's another sermon for another time. 
So Daniel Poku and Christian Hosey show up, and uh, the, we have an alarm because we don't want people stealing stuff because even though we're a church, we're a little bit gangster. So we have... We have a code. You got to push it. So they're pushing the code. We'll say the code was one, two, three, four, five. They push it in the code. The alarm is sounding like, oh my goodness, I got to turn this alarm off. One, two, three, four, five. Still keeps going. One, two, three, four, five. They keep pushing it over and over again. They don't know that the code that they're pushing in, that they think is a code to disarm, is actually the code that sends a, a, a silent alarm to the police station. So the police are hearing, oh my goodness, there's something terrible going on because this person keeps pushing one, two, three, four, five. Nothing bad was going on. They were actually trying to turn the alarm off. They're like, man, this dumb thing. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four. They're pushing the buttons thinking they're sending one message, but they're actually sending an entirely different message. I just wonder if that could be what our pain is causing some of us to do. Maybe that's what's going on in your marriage right now. Maybe that's what's going on with your roommates right now. You think that you're sending one message, but everybody else can hear your pain right now is sending out all types of messages like you hate everybody, you can't stand the world, you're against everyone. My wife would even say to me sometimes, Earl, you're cranking. I'm like, no, I'm not. She said to me one, uh, she was talking to a friend about her pregnancy uh, with, with our firstborn. She was like, oh, my goodness, yeah, when I was pregnant, man, I, I didn't have any issues. I mean, I was, my, I was the same person, and I was sitting there like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you were. She looked over at me like, was I not? I'm not dumb. I'm like, oh, no, you were perfect the entire pregnancy. I I didn't notice that you were pregnant at all. You don't even realize some of the messages that you're sending at times. Can you just pause for a second and say, hey, where is my stress pushing me? Where is my frustration pushing me? Where is my anger pushing me? Where is my disappointment pushing me? Maybe it's pushing me the wrong direction. And for Anna, it pushed her to his presence. She actually ended up worshiping by praying and fasting. This woman got on her face. This woman began to connect more with God. I want us to be that type of church. I want us to be the type of people because pain will come our way. But when it comes, may it drive us to our knees. May it not drive us to start talking about divorce. Well, maybe we're not right for each other. Maybe we shouldn't be together. Maybe this was a mistake. Why is that where it pushes you? Before you go there, will you please grab hands with your significant other and say, let's get on our knees right here. Let's begin to fast for a while. Let's go without Netflix. Let's go without food. And let's cry out to God and ask him to shape our hearts and our lives. Because obviously, we're not seeing things the way God wants us to see things. I wonder... How many relationships would break up if we were pushed towards worshiping, prayer and fasting? The prayer word here actually means to have like deep, urgent needs. She's crying out to God, like, God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I need you. If you have not been there yet, if you're like, you can kind of take or leave, you know, God answering a prayer, no problem. I love those seasons as well. But there are some seasons that you have, it's like, God, if you don't show up right here, God, if God, I'm telling you right now, God, this is going to be the end of the road for me if you do not show up right. God, if you don't come through right now, God, you, you know what I'm, God, you see my bank account. God, you see the doctor's report. God, you see the gap between my vision and where I'm at right now. 
God, you see it. If you don't show up right, if you don't show up at the end of this 2018, it's over for me. This woman was not looked down upon because she had an urgent need. She was actually celebrated because she had an urgent need. Because whenever you cry out to your God and you ask him to fill your need, that is you not being selfish. That is you being a son or a daughter. Where else would God want you to go? He wants you to turn to him. Maybe he allowed all hell to break loose in your life so you would get your eyes off of yourself and get your eyes back on him. This woman, she's awesome. She's awesome. When my little three-year-old girl has a need, I don't want her going to the neighbors. I don't want her thinking she has to leave my house and go knock on the door of someone who's not responsible for her. I want her knowing, come to daddy. I don't care what it is. You need your shoe tied? Come to daddy. (laughs) Need somebody to play makeup? I'll do it. Come to daddy. You need someone to hold you. Come to daddy. Come to my, come to your parents because we're the ones that are here to take care of you. Church family, stop running to the neighbors. Stop running to money. Stop running to your job. Stop running to one night stands. Stop running to your education. Stop running to all these things. You go to your father. Go to your father. So I, I, I'm about to be done here. Okay, I'm about to be done, but... This woman's, uh, her, her loss actually got lost in her legacy. She went through something real, losing her husband. Real pain. But that's not what she was known for. She was known for having seen the Savior and recognize the Messiah from the beginning. So the pain of the loss is real. But here's the master chef, God, able to take the ingredients of brokenness and pain in your life and mine and mix them into the recipe so when when people taste your life, They don't taste brokenness. They taste power. They don't taste loss. They taste grace. I even think about my mom who's in this room right now. And I'm sharing some of her business right here and hopefully she doesn't mind just for a second. But I remember my mom wanting to be married when I was growing up. Um, she was a single mom raising me, and then she met a man, and a uh, great, great guy. We loved him, and they got married. I remember walking my mom down the aisle. I was like, oh, I can't remember. Maybe I was 16 years old or so, maybe a little bit, 15, 16. I remember walking her down the aisle. Then I remember them getting a divorce. They say divorce is a funeral that no one attends. Because it's the death. It's a real part of her story. 
But if you ever interact with my mom, you don't taste divorce. What you taste is the goodness and the presence and the power of God all over her life. That's what you taste when you interact with her. They say, parents, if your kids don't like vegetables, you can grind them up and cook them into the meal. And they'll eat the meal. And they'll think, mm, mom, dad, this is delicious. They don't know. Ha, there's vegetables all in there. And this is what God does with our hurt and our brokenness. This is what he does with our past. He grinds all this stuff up and he says, yes, it happened, but I'm still going to use it. I'm going to put it into the mixture and I'm going to use this thing and I'm going to feed it to generations and people will taste your life. Think about the goodness of God. Only God can do this. This is the father that we serve. So church family, here in just these three verses, we see this beautiful woman, Anna. We see grace displayed for all of us to see. I'm praying, I'm praying that we steal from her life. And we allow her legacy to shape us and help us become who God is calling us to be. If you wouldn't mind, in this room, in an Antigua, bow your heads just for a moment. I ask you to bow your heads not because it's mystical or magical, but just so that you can focus. If you're under the sound of my voice right now, and you've never given your heart and your life to Christ, you've never made him number one, you've never made him first, you've never made him boss of your life. Put another way, you're in the driver's seat of your car. Christ is not. And you're under the sound of my voice today and you're saying, I don't want to go my own way anymore. I want to go his way. I don't want to do my own thing anymore. I want to do his thing. I want to surrender or maybe for some of us, I want to re-surrender my life to Christ because there was a time you were following him, but you slipped away and you've gone another direction. And today is a day of transformation and a new beginning and a fresh start. If that's you under the sound of my voice, you've never given your heart to Christ or at one point in time you did and you slipped away. I'm going to ask you to do something simple, but something incredibly bold on the count of three. I want you to shoot your hand in the air and say, yes, that is me. I want to give my heart and my life to Christ. Ready? One two, three. Just shoot your hand in the air. You're saying, yes, that is me. I want to give my heart and my life to Christ. I want to make him first. I want to make him number one in this room in Antigua all over. You're saying, yes, I want to make him first in my life. I don't want to go my own way anymore. I want to go his way. I'm going to ask every person to do me a favor. Put your hand over your heart if you would not mind. Every person. And I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer out loud after me. Say, dear Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I admit I've made mistakes. And today, I give you my heart. I give you my life. Give me the power to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's lift our heads up and clap our hands with enthusiasm right now.